Welcome to the Barry Trammell Show. Scott Verplank has spent four decades as an icon of golf in Oklahoma. U.S. Amateur Champ. NCAA Champion, both team and individual at OSU. Ryder Cup member, two-time. Longtime Oklahoman having put his roots down even after his career at OSU. And now we've got exciting news. Scott Verplank is joining the sellout crowd team. He'll also join us on the show. But first, we want to thank our sponsors, Next Generations Roofing, Weedman Lawn Service, FireLakeJobs.com, Oklahoma's Ford Dealers, Oklahoma's 988 Helpline, and Two Fellas Moving. I like helping people move. It's one of my few talents. But I'm the oddball, and that's where Two Fellas Moving comes in. Two Fellas offers free, no-strings quotes for your move. With over 20 years' experience, they've pretty much moved it all, and their services don't end at moving. Need to do some remodeling or spring cleaning? They have you covered with dumpster rentals and junk haul services. Remember, quotes are free, and there are no strings attached. If you're moving in Oklahoma, make sure to call the fellas. Visit twofellas.com for your free quote today. So we welcome in Scott Verplank. And Scott, welcome to the show. And more importantly, welcome to the Sellout Crowd Network. Well, thanks, Barry. Uh, It's an honor to be on with you. Hey, this is going to be fun. Uh, We're really excited. Uh, You bringing in uh, all the people you know from the world of golf and beyond, talking, uh, talking golf and talking sports. Of course, you've got a a uh and four decades really of uh of uh big time knowledge and and appearances in this kind of uh in this kind of venue so we're glad to have you aboard it's going to be exciting you've already got a nice lineup of uh people uh, uh ready to uh, to go and chat with you who who are some of the people you're bringing in uh well i think i'm <clears throat> i'm gonna have victor hovland um charles howell Still working. I think I got Ricky Fowler still working hard, but kind of guys along that, the OSU golfer guys. But then I, um, I've talked to a few guys in your business that are, that are really knowledgeable and, and do are broadcasters and sports writers that, that, uh, everybody would know who they are. So we'll just see what happens. I may get fired after the very first show. So, uh, we'll just hopefully I'll, I'm going to learn, learn from you and, and Bob Stoops and, everybody else and see if we can have some fun doing it well it's fantastic of course uh if you're of a young age you might not remember all the vintage scott verplank stories but uh uh, scott goes back uh, at least 40 years in the major in the major golf world and of course uh you came back just in the last uh, week or so came back in the news with uh was it uh let's see brian dunlap uh, Nick, Nick Dunlap, Nick Dunlap. Alabama's Dunlap. Nick Dunlap wins a PGA Tour event, uh, the third amateur to do it. Um, Scott Verplank is on that list. 1985 Western Open at Butler National. Still an Oklahoma State Cowboy. You win a PGA Tour event. Beat Jim Thorpe in a playoff. What kind of memories flooded back as you got all those calls uh, this week about uh, about uh, another amateur winning on the PGA Tour? Well, um, obviously a bunch of good memories. Um, I was really, uh, really pulling for the kid because, uh, Mickelson won, uh, six years after I did. And then it's been 33 years since an amateur, you know, basically college kid has won on the PGA tour. And that's a long, long drought. 
I mean, honestly, the, the kids in college now are so talented, uh, more so today than, than ever, in my opinion. So there, there's more, uh, Nick Dunlop, Dunlap actually is, is separated himself in his head mentally and, and maturity wise to be able to pull that off. But, um, there's a good, there's a 10 to 12 to 15 kids playing college right now that are, they have plenty of game to win. It's just getting over that final hump in your, in your head that you're good enough. So I was thrilled that, uh, Nick won and just reminded me of, of, uh, basically the same th stuff I went through. I just kind of was oblivious to everything outside the ropes and the, and the media pressure and all that. And you almost have to get in a little bubble. <clears throat> um, and I was able to do it at a young age. So uh, that's what he did. And uh, I look forward to seeing what happens with him and see if some of these other kids can uh, follow in his footsteps. Seem it seems to me, Scott, in the last decade or so, we're seeing – Younger and younger players excel at, uh, at the highest levels. Uh, you know, guys winning multiple majors in their 20s, that kind of thing, a rush of 24, 25-year-olds. Back in the day, that didn't happen that often. Uh, what do you think is fueling that, uh, that wave of, of young golfers being able to play well uh, from the outset? Uh, well, I think it was the, the, the ultimate or the initial fuel was Tiger Woods. Um, you know, hitting the golf scene, making golf cool, uh, really good athlete, um, working out, hit the ball far, uh, did things that a lot of people, you know, up to that point is all, well, you can't, you know, hit the weights like that and press so hard with your body to, to hit it that hard. Um, and listen, Barry, I think there's kids that, that grew up playing football and baseball and basketball and soccer, uh, that are now playing golf. Um, and you, you look at the young guys coming out, man, they're all six, three, six, four, six, five, you know, 200 pounds. They hit it 400 yards in the air. Not, not all of them, but the, but the mold and the model has changed. And like I said, there's, there's just a better, there's a better level of athlete playing golf. And I think that is, it started with Tiger Woods it got to the point where the money has gotten big enough in golf that it's worth pursuing that. If you think you're going to be a professional athlete and you can have a long career. That's uh, you, you talked about, uh, you know, kids who basketball, football, baseball, migrating to golf. Let's go back long time. Scott Verplank, young kid in Dallas headed for WT white high school, Brookhaven country club. But, what sports were you interested in other than golf, or were you always golf from the outset? No, no, I played every. I played football. Uh, I played them all: football, basketball, soccer. I was actually on a great soccer team as a as a uh, oh probably nine years old to thirteen years old. I was on a team that we traveled around uh, the basically the southern United States and played, um, and I was. I, you know, I was pretty good on that team. Um, I would have played football if I'd have grown up big enough, but I just quit growing. <laughs> I was just only five nine one sixty five, and that's pretty hard to be a middle linebacker at five nine one sixty five. But my soccer team, uh, when I the summer I was turning fourteen, I guess my soccer team was going on a six week uh, trip to Maryland and Delaware and New Jersey. Um, 
because we were really literally one of the best teams in the country. And I said, you know what? I'm not, I can't do that. I want to play golf all summer. So that was it. That was really the decision that um, I'm done with soccer. Um, I'm playing golf. So just a foolish kid's, you know, decision trying to live his dream. And, and I figured I was going to play professional golf. So turned out I got that one part right. When uh, is that when your golf uh, really took off when you sort of dedicated all of your sports, uh, all of your sports resources to that? Yeah, no doubt. Um, yeah. Once you, I mean, golf is all, <laughs> all encompassing and all consuming. Um, which is really interesting because if you get the golf bug, it's kind of like athletes and other sports um, that, you know, Michael Jordan or, or who Michael Jordan's good name. He's so addicted with golf because he mastered basketball, but he can't get golf. Nobody can get golf. Golf's always going to, it's always going to frustrate you and humble you and it can't be perfected. And, you know, so it takes a lot of your time, effort, and energy to get good at golf. Um, so yes, when I was when I quit all the other sports, um, I had the crazy dream that I was going to play on the PGA Tour. So I that's what I went for. You come out of WT White High School, clearly one of the one of the uh, biggest recruits in America. But uh, you go to uh, you sign with Oklahoma State, Mike Holder. What? What drew you to OSU and to Stillwater and to, and to Mike Holder, a decision that obviously had a profound effect on your life? Yeah, it did. Um, you know, my, my uh, whole family went to the University of Texas. My dad played baseball there. Um, my mom, my, grand, my aunts and uncles, my grandparents, <clears throat> great-grandparents. I was, the first, uh, I was the first one not to go to the University of Texas. Um, and I just, I just, uh, I guess I fell in love with the dream that Holder was selling that, that we're going to win and we're going to win a lot. And, um, I guess that fit to what I was looking for. Um, you know, we had a great, great group of players already, and I kind of wanted to play against the best players, uh, in college golf every single day. So it just, it just worked out that way. I actually went to Oklahoma State, turned down a full ride to Texas, and went to Oklahoma State on a half scholarship. Half scholarship was that a uh, was that a common was that a, a common recruiting situation? Even even top flight golfers getting half scholarships in those days. Um, it was yeah. I mean, it, it they really uh, did it on on. Um, the best they could do, they did it on need, but I, but I got a, I got a half golf scholarship, but I had a, a, uh, half academic scholarship as well. I got you. I was lucky I enough you. to make good grades and, um, I got some help from the college The academic wise, my test scores were good enough and all that. But, um, yeah, there were guys that were on full rides that really needed a full ride. And there were some guys, um, back in the day that, you know, if you grew up in golf, their parents might have had enough money to pay for their college, so they were on a pretty small scholarship. But um, that was the sacrifice you made if you wanted to be on the best team. You, uh, of course, you had a fantastic amateur career. Um, you win an NCAA team title. You win an NCAA individual title. You win the U.S. Amateur. 
uh, well, a cowboy. Uh, when you look back on those college days, why did your career uh, surge? Why was it so prosperous? Why did it set you up for all the things to come? Um, I think just it was just the right environment for me. I was uh, work, you know, work hard. I didn't have a ton of other interest at that point. I just wanted to try to see how good I was at golf. Um, you know, being a type one diabetic since nine years old, you know, I was pretty regimented already. So I didn't like just go nuts when I went to college, <laughs> like a lot of, like a lot of kids do. And I, you can't blame them for that. Um, and it just, like I said, I was playing with the guys that I thought were the best guys in college anyway. And I was trying to compete. If I could compete with them, then I knew I could compete with everybody else playing at that level of golf. Coach uh, Mike Holder was your coach. Uh, in modern times, we know Mike Holder is the athletic director at OSU, the guy who, who uh, the the genius fundraiser, the guy who who teamed with Boone Pickens and and transformed OSU athletics. And it really is not the same place it was when you when you were here uh, as a player uh, forty years ago. Um, but it, it's it, it strikes me that we're getting further and further from Mike Holder, the golf coach. We know his incredible record, but what made him so successful as uh, as the longtime leader of Cowboy Golf? Well, because he was singularly focused on putting the best team out there and winning. I mean, whatever it took to win within the rules is what he was going to do. If that meant working harder than anybody else, if that he did, he recruited harder than anybody else. He raised more money than anybody else back when people weren't really raising money for golf. Um, he saw a vision of, let's put money into this golf program and we're going to win. And he pulled it off. And then, you know, he was, a, he was a taskmaster. He was great for me because I needed someone basically to, I wouldn't say ride me, but, but to uh, incur he would he would uh, tell me I wasn't any good, and that's all I needed to hear. You know, he was smart. He, everybody's different, but he'd tell me that I wasn't wasn't really very good, or I wasn't. You know, you're really not that good, blah blah. And that's all I needed to hear. <clears throat> he could light the fire, where I'd go. Well, I'll show you, pal. <clears throat> and there, there, off I'd go. Um, but so he, in that way, he was uh, he was a motivator of the guys. Some guys he coddle and some guys he'd he'd kind of try to put a boot up their butt and and get them to go but um listen he changed the obviously the whole uh started with the golf program but he changed the whole university um with what he was able to do with bringing the money in through the golf team um and then expanding it with boone pickens into the football and ultimately everything else the whole olympic village um, yeah, you know, the Oklahoma State University is an interesting, very interesting school, um, because if it wasn't for the golf team, we'd probably still be playing in Rustolian field and the facilities wouldn't be very good. And, and, uh, the coaches would have a lot harder time than they're having now. Not that coaching is easy cause it's not, but, um, what a, when he got that Karsten Creek built and raised that money and then saw a bigger vision of we could do this to the whole university i mean that that's a game changer so he deserves a lot of a lot a lot of credit for that when you think about your playing days at osu 
What are the what are the most vivid memories? What when you think back to those days, what what immediately springs to mind in terms of a favorite memory, a favorite event, one of those kinds of things? Well, uh, the best one was my freshman year. We won the NCAA uh, tournament, and as a team, and I actually lost in a playoff uh, for the individual title my freshman year. Um, but I learned a lot in that because I was so excited that we won the team that I didn't care as much about the individual. And I, I made bogey on the first hole, but I, but I learned a valuable lesson, Barry, that yes, I need to win too. The team won, which is what we were there for. But then I kind of lost my bubble and, and didn't pay enough attention. I could have won the individual title as a freshman, but I was just, I'd lost my, I, I kind of lost my head. We won. And that was all I was there for. Um, then the worst deal was was I won my senior year, but we blew a uh, ten shot lead, I think, on the last nine holes and let Wake Forest beat us. Um, and I won the individual I won the individual title by six shots, and it was the most disappointing uh, tournament I ever won by far. I was crying walking up the last hole, and it wasn't because I won. It was because we blew this. Me and my four best friends, we blew this enormous lead um, and lost what was a dev- – it was a devastating day in my golf career, and it still is. Even though I won the tournament, um, it was one of the most moving days in my golf career. When you, uh, when you won at Butler National on the PGA Tour – uh, that Sunday, you, I think it was a two-hole playoff with Jim Thorpe, if I remember right. Um, you know, I told you the other day, I, re- I remember vividly that day. I was, I was in eastern Oklahoma on some function or something and stopped off. In, on the way home, I stopped off in Pryor to see my uncle. I hadn't seen him in a while, and he's in his back room watching the Western Open and, and uh, watching Scott Verplank. So we sat and watched the rest of the tournament with him uh, as uh, Scott Verplank won uh, that memorable day in suburban Chicago. What do you remember most about that day and the, and the, and the aftermath of such a monumental feat? Um, well, I mean, I appreciate you stopping and watching first, Barry. That's, that's fantastic. <clears throat> and the fact that basically 40 years later, here we are, that's good too. Yeah. Um, listen, that Sunday was a rainy it wasn't cold. It was just it, it cool. It had been hot. You know, it was Chicago in the summer, and the little front came through, and it was about 70 degrees, and it was kind of rainy and kind of a dreary day. Um, but, man, the lots of it was a big crowd. Um, I was in the little bubble. Um, I'd won a bunch of tournaments in a row leading up to that one, and I know this was a pro event, but I was just like um, kind of like this kid this last week. I was just like, I just want to play like I've been playing and see where it stacks up. And I did a, a uh, looking back, I did a tremendous job of, that's all I thought about. Just play like I've been playing, and we'll add them all up at the end of the week and see where we are. Um, I mean, I don't think I have the mental discipline to do that anymore, but I did then, and that was, that was really the difference. I think that's kind of like we were talking about the kid this last week. He had the mental discipline just to play his game and not worry about what everybody else was doing, and sure enough, he won. But um. It was amazing. I laugh. It's funny. I, I, there were big crowds there, particularly for 1985, but I bet I've had a million people tell me, oh, yeah, that's right. You won that. I was there. And I was like, gosh, this was the biggest crowd in the history of the United States. <laughs> <clears throat> so I do get a kick out of that. But yeah, it was a monumental event. And I was uh, 
so in my bubble, I didn't probably fully appreciate it until later. But I do appreciate it now. It was looking back, and, and looking back, it was pretty cool that that, that happened to me. You went on to uh, six <clears throat> PGA Tour victories, uh, challenged in a couple of majors. You um, you played in two Ryder Cups, had a four and one record in Ryder Cup, including a hole in one in the Ryder Cup. When you look back, what what what's your number one? What's what's your favorite? Your most treasured feet in golf what what are you most proud of doing on on the on the golf course um boy in all honesty i would have to say the the most emotional the i've ever well the most emotional i ever felt was when we lost the NCAA tournament my senior year but when i won in dallas uh the byron nelson at i was 42 years old kind of getting you know long in the tooth you know, starting to struggle to keep up with the kids and hadn't been, body was not doing great. Um, and Byron Nelson, who mentored me as a, as a 16 and 17 and 18 year old, um, he had passed away the year before and it was the first tournament without him there. And I'd lost the tournament in the playoff uh, two or three years earlier. I'd had a bunch of chances to win in Dallas where I grew up. And that was like my major so when I actually won, I've never been that nervous uh, as I was with a little two-foot putt to win in Dallas. It, it blew away the Ryder Cup or any major or anything like that. Um, but I snuck it in there and won, and that was the most uh, – that meant more to me than anything just because of all the circumstances. Growing up in Dallas, having tons of uh, great relationship with Byron Nelson, uh, going through all the health problems that I've had and being able to somehow pull off winning, living a dream. You know, you grew up as a kid. I used to carry the sign at the Byron Nelson tournament. Um, and my mom was the walking score. You know, I'm a little 12 year old kid holding the little sign. So it was my dream to, to win the tournament in Dallas. So, um, may not sound like much to, to, uh, Victor Hovland or Ricky Fowler, but it was a big deal to me. Of course, uh, you know we we talked about your diabetes uh, from nine years old. Um, how important has that been? Do you think that here you've been on a you know half century journey with that and been able to succeed and excel at the highest levels uh, despite uh, despite this uh, situation and uh, the inspiration you've provided others? How how proud of you are, are you of the way you've you've sort of overcome uh, the diabetes situation? Um, you know, I don't think proud's the right, I I don't really, I'm more self-deprecating than, than, uh, patting myself on the back, to be honest with you. I probably should be a little bit, a little bit less self-deprecating and more patting myself on the back. But, um, listen, I just, I kind of just look at it like, look, if, if I'm talking to a high school kid who's diabetic and I actually talk to Quite a few of them. I give. We actually give. Me and my wife give college scholarships to Type One kids. So talk to a lot. I basically say, don't look at me as the model. Just look at me as like you can do what you want. I mean, it, anything's possible for you. Um, you know, it doesn't. Uh, it's not a death sentence or a career ender if you're diagnosed with Type One. Like I said, you don't have to to model me or follow me, or I can't be your role model. But you just use me as any it, it's it's doable. So that's kind of what I try to tell the kids. 
Um, you don't have to do what I do or act like I act or think what I think, but just look at me as like, I can do what you can be. You, it doesn't have to hold you back. So, um, like I said, I'm not, uh, I, I wouldn't go and say that I really toot my own horn about that, but, but, um, kids that want help, I'm happy to try to give them encouragement. Excuse me. Last question, Scott, what, what made you decide you wanted to join the likes of us? What made you want to get into the into the interview business and and share stories with uh, with old pals and old comrades? Well, Barry, um, I have been lucky enough to do some. Uh, I get to work at the Masters on the Masters dot com with a couple of buddies, and it's it's pretty fun being on the other side of the microphone. Um, I get to do some stuff with ESPN at, at another couple golf tournaments, and someone approached me about uh sellout crowd approached me about would you want to talk about golf and most people who know me um would go yeah you're pretty much full of it so you can you can bs pretty good so you might be good at talking so um i said what the heck you know my golf career i still like to play some good golf on the champions tour but i've had so many injuries and um got things going on around home. So I was like, yeah, I'm looking for stuff to do and, and this could be fun. And it's a good way to, it'll be a good way for me to connect and reconnect with a lot of people that I have seen through the last 30 or 40 years, but haven't talked to as much. So um, hopefully I can get some good people to come on and shoot the bull with me and it'll make for some interesting, uh, interesting content. Of course, and one of the things you've done is, uh, you know, you've always made your roots here in Oklahoma. And I said last question, this is the really the last question. What what made you decide to stay in Oklahoma, whether it's Stillwater or Edmond or, or wherever you might have, have uh, hung a shingle? What What is it about Oklahoma that made you not just come but stay? Well, um, you know, I got asked that a lot, you know, play, traveling the country in the world playing golf and you know Oklahoma's not known for uh, the best weather in the world and people go why do you you know why do you live there and I was I always I go I couldn't put a, a firm answer on it I said but I'll tell you what if you'll come hang out with me come come stay at my house for two or three days then you'll see why because it's all the people around here it's the lifestyle it's the way uh, you know it's Oklahoma City Edmond uh, Norman Stillwater it's it's all good people people i want to be around uh hopefully they want to be around me um you can it's just the the lifestyle here is way better than is nationally advertised in my opinion and it it's really because of the people and like the neighborhood you have great neighbors great clubs uh you know great sport any, anything you want um i just don't want too many people to move here I kind of like it. Uh, I don't want it to turn into, you know, Dallas and Houston. I want Oklahoma yeah. City to just kind of hang where it's at. Well, super. Well, we're glad that you're hanging uh, with us, Scott. Welcome to Sell Out Crowd. Your show is going to be a hit. Uh, I'm sure people will be uh, looking forward to it. And so check it out uh, very quickly. Scott's shows will be starting very soon. Thanks for joining me, Scott, and good luck with us here on Sell Out Crowd. Thanks, Barry. It's an honor to be on with you. Well, thanks. And remember, you can now access us via the Sellout Crowd app. Just go to the App Store and search Sellout Crowd. And if this is your first time hearing or watching the show, be sure to subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. And if you like what you hear, please leave a review. 
And remember, you can read me every day at barryjrammel.com, across social media, and on selloutcrowd.com. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>